awesome. Hey, hey, y'all. We are back. Um, welcome back to Lead and Move. I am so excited to be here. I am so excited to be with each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you for making it to season three. Can you believe it already? Etapa tres. Um, amazing. Anyway, my name is Giovanna Rosales, your host here at Making Leader Moves. And as I mentioned, I am so excited to be here with you all. Welcome to season three. This is a very important season um, and a personal one for me. We will be deep diving with our mujeres this season to speak on their journeys of discovering an extra layer of themselves, their chronic illnesses, disabilities, and or disorders. Huge disclaimer, and I just want to make this very, very clear. Neither our guests, Natalie, nor myself are medical professionals. We are having a conversation on how we personally manage our disorders, chronic conditions, and or disabilities. Please seek medical and professional help if you do not feel well, or if you feel you might, as you yourself might have a medical condition. On today's show, we are going to talk and touch upon endometriosis, con mi amiga Natalie Zamora. Natalie is a first-generation American of Central American descent. She manages a finance career by day and endometriosis advocacy by night. She hopes that by sharing her experiences in both English and Spanish, she can reach others like her. First-generation Americans have to navigate a medical, educational, and advocacy, advocacy space often by themselves. Endometriosis can be a difficult topic to broach and explain to one's own family, oftentimes in a different language and conversations around the taboo topics like fertility and pain. Hola, mi amiga, and welcome to Leader Moves. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited for you to talk about your journey, share your experience with us. I know I talked a lot about um, who you are professionally, but I'm also very excited to deep, to do a deep dive with you and speak on your journey with being diagnosed with endometriosis, which endo, which we can say endo for short. Um, but before we dive in, let's touch on how you came to your journey um, with discovering on having endometriosis. So do you want to introduce yourself a little more, talk about it? Um, and then when did you realize there was something different with you compared to all the other young women out there? And at what point did you realize this pain isn't regular pain, but more excruciating and more severe? Yeah. So hola, hola. Uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I love the name Lider Moves because even though I do have a chronic illness, I do consider myself to be a leader. <laughs> and and uh, it's 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 been a tough road to make sure that I can be somebody who um, is is just like successful, but also dealing with a chronic illness. So uh, that's a great question. So like many people with endometriosis, the first way that I found out that um, the pain just wasn't normal is with painful periods. And I just want to say right off the bat that endometriosis is actually not a period disease. It's not a disease based on the reproductive organs. And I know that that's going to be um, maybe a little controversial for some people, or it might be hard to understand, but I'll, I'll break it down. Um, but yes, um, so I the way that I found out was I, I like 
I think I started menstruating when I was, uh, I was, I was a late bloomer. So if anybody read Judy Bloom books, like I was like dying and waiting to get my period. Um, <laughs> I was, I was the oldest one, but the last one of the group. Um, and I was probably, oh gosh, I was in eighth grade. So mm-hmm. that's when it started. And as I got older, the periods just would get really, really intense and really, really painful. Mm-hmm. And I was just like bleeding excessively. Like I would bleed through my clothes. I would bleed um, through the through the night. Like just always, there would be marks on my bed. And you know, it was it was difficult for my mother because she was somebody mm-hmm. who was an athlete. Um, she was oh, somebody okay. who had. She says that she was like my pregnancies were amazing and perfect, and and I didn't have any symptoms at all. And um, her periods just came and went and she really didn't have any complications at all. Like pain really wasn't a factor for her when she was menstruating. So she believed me um, and she was trying to be as sympathetic as she could, but she just didn't understand. And when we would consult, you know, the other matriarchs of our family, um, like my tia, my abuela, they, they had really intense periods. And so they were just like, it's normal. Right. And so then that was the first narrative at home that I got is period pain's normal. It's part of being a woman. And, you know, you, you, maybe, maybe you could take un de manzanilla, um, you know, because oh, the good old de de manzanilla, <laughs> it's, it apparently saves lives. Right. But only yeah. to a certain extent. <laughs> exactly. And, and listen, um, de de manzanilla or, or chamomile, uh, is one of those things that like, it, it does have a calming property to it. Right. And maybe mm-hmm. for like regular period beans, it's fine. But I was, by the time I got to high school, um, what I was doing was uh, sometimes I would come home and I would turn, fill the tub with, we, we I live in Brooklyn, New York, and okay. that's where I grew up. And, the, and if you live in Brooklyn, you know that the hot water in Brooklyn is hot. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out scalding out of that, that, uh, that sink. And which was great for me because I would fill the tub pure hot water, no cold, scalding, scalding hot. And I would just put my entire body into it because my legs were hurting so bad. It felt like somebody took a bat to them. Um, My cramps were just terrible. Every time I would get a pang of cramps, I would just be doubled over in pain. And again, I was just bleeding so much where like sitting in a tub was just better than sitting on my couch after I came home from school. Oh my goodness. Um, I feel so bad sometimes. And I won't get emotional. But my little sister, she's seven years younger than me. She would like come in and check on me in the tub and be like, Are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, and you know, my mother and my grandmother just would help, you know, would support it, but they just were just like, how why do you have these pains so badly? Mm-hmm. Um Advil was work sometimes, sometimes it didn't. Right. Uh, and I would come out of these baths with my skin raw, red. Um, and that was just like the best thing that I could do. And yeah. then that moved on to, and this is going to sound crazy, and I don't recommend anybody do this. Do not do this. It is very dangerous. Um, I would fill Ziploc bags. I would boil water on the on the stove, and I would put it in the Ziploc bags because that's how hot I needed it to be for me to get any relief. And what I know now that I was doing then, I'm 34 now, um, I was, I was, I was like 16 through 18 at the time Yeah, is I was creating such an intense neurological response to the heat that my body just was like, wait, no, you're burning. 
let's focus on that and stop thinking about this other pain that's lying underneath, right? Oh my goodness. Bizarre, right? So But it makes sense now. It makes so much sense now. It makes so much sense now. I was doing the best that I could because I was uh so if you grow up Latina, um, you know, you're expected to be a señorita until you get married, right? And and that means you're a virgin. And that's a a whole nother topic for a whole (laughs) other day. It's a whole other topic. And so using using tampons are yes. What? Like absolutely not. I was never going to use a tampon until I got married and had a husband, and then I could put stuff in there. Um, <laughs> why would I need to see a gynecologist? Exactly. Um, I'm I'm not having sex. I'm not having children. So why would I see one? So I, we would just go to my pediatrician, and the pediatrician would just say it's normal. You know, like you just have intense periods, and uh, take uh, uh, take Tylenol, take Advil, whatever. So, um. That was really the first symptoms, and okay. the thing is, I had I had other friends with tough periods, mm-hmm. but not all of them. So mm-hmm. it just didn't make. So I was just trying to find what is it about me that I'm causing this to be so painful, yes. or what is it about me that it is so painful? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always just been that type of mindset. And um, when I graduated high school, it was it didn't get better. Um, mm-hmm. From 18 to 21, I was, I was fainting, you know, um, I've, I've fainted on the way to work many times. Oh my goodness. I, I know. And, and I'm sorry. Cause like, I'm so just like used to it. It's my normal that when I tell people and they're shocked, I'm just like, yeah, I used to faint on my way to work. There was a time where I fainted like at the steps of the subway to go to work and I was on the floor. Nobody, nobody saw it. It was New York City. Well, right? I was about to say, but take the go like just New York in New York fashion, just walking over you, right? <laughs> you, you mind your business. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I've uh, the, one of the most embarrassing things, and the thing is, like, I kept this hidden from people, right? I was so embarrassed because the first thing that people say is, "Pero qué estás comiendo? Estás haciendo ejercicio?" You know, like. Somehow it was my yeah. fault. I wasn't being healthy enough. And I was always a curvy girl. I got a big old booty um, that is that is Salvadoran and Honduran. Hey, <laughs> which shout and, out to both of us wearing our oh, yes. t-shirts. Oh, Y'all are in the house. Shout out to Quirky Sipota. <laughs> she makes amazing, amazing products. And we're both wearing them. And yes, so we just want to give a shout out to Central America <laughs> and Quirky yeah. Sipota. Yeah, I love Quirky Sipota. I actually have an end of chat with her on my Instagram. She doesn't have endometriosis, but she does have other chronic illnesses. And she was very awesome to come on and talk to me about it. Oh, anyway. my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to her, everyone. If, if you're interested, please follow her on Instagram. I know she's on Instagram at Quirky Sipota. And we would I'm now now once we hang up, I'm going to go ahead and listen to that episode um, because she's amazing. I love her. I love her. I love her so yeah. much. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's, that's so, so the thing is like, here I am telling my doctors that I'm not feeling well, my parents, and this is the other thing, right? So I'm first gen. Mm-hmm. My mother didn't know who else to talk to besides the pediatrician. And since the pediatrician exactly. was saying it was normal, the thought of getting a second opinion just wasn't there. It's that's generational knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. To, to know how to, how to work the American healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the frustrating part is like, in nuestros países, it's like, si eres doctora, licenciada, profesional, it's a, it is a privilege 
Right. For, for somebody in Honduras or El Salvador to be able to just afford to go to school consistently yes. and then get into the universities over there. And, and like, I know at the time, I don't, I don't know how it is now, but I know that in El Salvador, for some of the best universities there, like you got to be really smart and you got to pass those tests to get in. Yeah. So, um, so the, the concept of education is also very different for, for, for first gens with parents that grew up in those countries, because for them, it's like, how could you question a doctor? Why would you even think that a doctor wouldn't give us the right advice? Like, you're not a doctor. She's a doctor. Like she's, you know, you know, and, and it's like this prestige and this like respect towards doctors, you kind of just yes. don't question them and you accept what they're saying to you. So um, really it wasn't until um, I I had kind of left home uh, and I was, I was just, I, 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 I think um, when I was 20, okay, I saw six, six gynecologists. And by this time you're doing it on your own. Did you, yeah. were you telling your mom like, Hey, I'm seeing gynecologists or was this again, something that you kept to yourself? So, so the only people who really knew what I was going through was my mother, my sister, and my grandmother. Okay. And, and like auxiliary aunts maybe knew, but, um, it was more of like, oh, see, a, a Natalie le duele los periodos. So, mm -hmm. eso, eso es la cosa de Natalie. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I was on my own and I was navigating the healthcare system alone uh, mm -hmm. because I was just being relentless. Like, I, I just was like, this this can't be normal. Like, you can't tell me that it's normal. That the And now what was happening was the week before my period, mm -hmm. I was starting to have pain. The week of my period, I was having pain. Mm -hmm. And then it would take me a week to recover. <laughs> from so out of four months. weeks in a month, you're SOL for three. Correct. Wow. And, and, and you know how it is. It's like your first gen and it's just like your parents. Like I grew up with my dad going to play soccer on the weekends, even yeah. though he worked his butt off all week. Like, and, 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 and health is a priority. It's, mm -hmm. it's, Girl, my dad taught my dad taught my brother's coach. Uh, like so, he was a soccer coach for one of the seasons, so I get it. I get it. I wasn't. I mean, me and my brother are four years apart, and I remember being at the stadium or at the field and just watching. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's and that's another one for my for my salvies here in New York City. Like, um, we we would spend the weekends in, in Red Hook, where there's like a community of of Salvadoreños, because there was a bubusa mm -hmm. truck there, El Omega, the famous bubusa truck. Um, I've been going there since I was a baby and, um, and, and that was, that's what the weekends were like. You were, you were somewhere playing soccer and during the week, you know, you, your, your family just worked really, really hard. Yeah. And, and so, and, and your health is, is a huge priority, right? Like staying active, eating as healthy as possible. And, and so, um, and, and I, and I'll explain why I said healthy like that, but, yeah. um, and, and for the folks who aren't watching on YouTube, she's did the quotations on healthy. <laughs> Yes, quotations are healthy. Um, and so, so now I'm I'm 20, and mm -hmm. I go to my first gynecologist because I had just become sexually active, and I couldn't tell my mom that. Oh God, no. Um, and and so <laughs> again, you're a señorita. You can't. Yeah, I'm, that. I'm a señorita. I'm supposed to be a señorita, and so I I was just trying to be a an American kid and be responsible and go to like a gynecologist. Right, right. Um, señorita and, by day, <laughs> right, <laughs> by night. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly right you think you're in love i was i was i was um i was dating my high school sweetheart like okay you know it's, yeah. we had been together forever and and you know just felt right at that time so i was 20 years old and uh i remember going to that gynecologist and it was the it was a horrible experience mm. she she literally was didn't even she was she was so hell-bent on me having sex she was like you're are you stupid she's like do you want to get pregnant you're going to ruin your life she was like i'm gonna give you birth control because clearly you're irresponsible and you're not thinking right which is what i that, that's why i didn't tell my mom and now this gynecologist who doesn't even know me is telling me this um and i yes. I don't even think that they're like, that's not even ethical on their, on their side. They're not supposed to say any of that kind of stuff. Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and I was so young. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know better. Like challenging her wasn't even in my thought process. So right. she shocked me. And so the thing is like then, and this is something important for us to know. It's like, just because somebody's a doctor, they can't just touch your body without consent and do things without your consent. We understand why we're there, but make sure that you advocate, that you know, come in ready to advocate for yourself. So the first thing was she used the speculum on me for the first time, which if anybody doesn't know, a speculum is just the device that the gynecologist uses um, to do an internal examination. They kind of put it in and it helps open up a little bit so that they can look inside. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a first sign of endometriosis that I, that I had no idea. That was excruciatingly painful. I, I, and that shouldn't be painful is, mm-hmm. is what I want to say. It's not normal for that to be painful. The pap smear, sure, when they're cutting out a piece of your right. cervix and biopsy right. it, sure, that might be a little painful. Um, so she did that. And then um, she didn't even tell me, but she shoved a finger up my behind. <gasps> and uh, according to her, it was to check the uterus from all sides so she kind of was doing a double checking right and the so so when you're at a gyno before they start doing these procedures what's normal is they tell you step by step what they are going to do and she is just doing these things one without even letting you know prior to and then some gynecologists even as they're doing it will repeat what they are doing and what they are finding. I want our listeners to know that that is normal, not your experience. Correct. A hundred percent. And I was young. Yeah. I had, I had no concept of what a gynecologist visit should be like. Exactly. I couldn't ask my parents. Of course. And so, and I was trying to tell her that I was experiencing debilitating period pain, that I was fainting and I wasn't feeling okay, but she didn't even listen to me. She was more concerned about me having sex, prescribed birth control, and was like, I'll see you next visit. Mm. Um, safe to say, I never went back. I felt extremely violated at the time. I didn't even realize that that's what it was that I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Googling at the time if, if putting a finger on the anus was normal during a gynecological exam. And it can be if they really need to feel the uterus. Um, but like you said, a doctor should be explaining everything every step along the way and asking for your consent if it's okay to do this. Correct. So... Um, you know, and and this is why sometimes endometriosis patients go a long time without getting diagnosed because they go to the gynecologist. It's very painful, right? And they don't, and they don't get heard. So um, I went to go see another gynecologist just for better bedside manner, and right. I told her about my periods, and she said it's normal. She was like, "There's, you know, I, I you know, I don't know." And she kind of made me feel like a little stupid. She was just like, "Periods are painful." She was like, "I don't know why you." 
why you think you're different than anybody else. And I was like, okay. Like, why are you here? Why are you wasting my time? It's normal. Vete. All right. You're 20 years old. Like, you know, you're too, like, at, at, like you're too young to be concerned about anything serious. So don't even, you know. Whatever. Right. Right. There are some rubbers on your way out. Don't forget. Here is the re-up of your BC, of your birth control. Vamanos. Mind you, I didn't, I didn't take the birth control because that's not what I went there for. Like, I didn't want it. Thank right. You, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Like, and, and, you know, and, and that was like another thing. She prescribed something to me without even talking to me about it or what side effects it could possibly have. So, um, that I was feel a- is a very common thing even nowadays. Um, and, oh, God, and, yeah. and yeah, and we can get into that chat later, but yeah, I, it's, it's ridiculous and it's sad. And I resonate with you on that one because that's effed up. You shouldn't be given something without even, and then the worst part is they don't even explain it to you. Right. They're just like, like this is what it is. This is how you're going to take it. it. Goodbye. And also they don't even explain it. And there's so many different types of birth, birth control that use different types of hormones. Yep. They don't even do blood work to check to see if like that's something that could help or hurt. Like again, another conversation. But um, <laughs> so so I did go to see um and, and there's like time between these visits, right? Because I'm 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 being told that it's normal. I'm being told that there's nothing for me to be concerned about, that the sonograms are normal, and that I'm fine. And then at the same time, I'm like, this, this can't be normal. Like I am feeling crazy because everyone's telling you it's normal, right? Time time is years are passing by. Your pain is not alleviating at all, but yet, you know, something's wrong, but you still feel crazy because everyone with a degree, right? Again, Le profesional, licenciado, doctora, doctor, they all have the degrees, but yet you're like, you're the one, like you were saying earlier, you're the one at fault. So my, like, not even physically are you going through pain at this point, but mentally you're drained and you think estás un poquito loca and you're like, what, what's like, what's wrong with, and at this point, right, you're blaming yourself. You're like, what is wrong with me? You're not yeah, you're not even like, yo, F these doctors. Like, I'm going to find someone who know, like, who's going to take the time and who's going to care. At this yeah. point, it's all on you. And it's the shame game. It's the blame game. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, like, my 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 general, my GP, right, my, my PCP, mm-hmm. my, my primary care physician, they actually believed me. They were like, mm-hmm. no, go to another gynecologist. Like, this is strange, right? Because they, they were an internist by practice. Okay. And so I, I I went, so by the, I went to a third visit, told the same thing. Um, and I, and before I went to the fourth visit, mm-hmm. I remember Googling my symptoms. Okay. Um, like, re, like and, I, and it was something like really painful periods, really painful before periods, something like okay. that. And that was the first time I ever saw that word, endometriosis. And I, we're talking 2010, mm-hmm. right? And I remember I looked up the article and it was a very brief explanation, but it was just like very painful periods. Um, and and I think it was like the first time that like I saw something like about like, um, like pain outside of your periods. And then like, like it was just feeling too tight was, was like one of those things, oh, but like, it didn't really explain it. Okay. And I was like, okay. I know, I know that that's a problem because sex had also become painful at this okay. time. Okay. Very painful. 
And so, uh, but one of the, one of the reasons for the causes was, I remember at the time was STDs and, uh, I want to be a hundred percent clear. Endometriosis is not called by caused by STDs, hundred percent not, <laughs> but at the time, um, and it's actually a more racist reason when brown women or BIPOC women have vaginal issues or vaginal pain, a lot of times doctors just very quickly will blame it on STDs. And, and so I was just like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like I've only had one partner my whole life. Like, right. I don't you know, again, la senorita, the purity, the, the you're a little angel, right? Of course. And, and, and it's like, oh my God, I can't even tell people that this is what I think I have because they're going to think that it's because I'm having sex all over the place, right? Which, right. Listen, people, I'm all about do what you want to do. Just be safe. Yeah. Um, we're, there's no slut shaming from, from Endosipota here. Um, but, but um, I remember I went to that fourth doctor and I, okay. I was ready. I was like, okay, I, I did my research and I think I know what this is. And I remember talking to her and I'm telling her the thing. She was giving me the same thing you're young, it's normal, don't worry about it, da, da, da. it can't be anything else. And I go, I think it's, have you ever, do you think it could be endometriosis? And she goes, no. She was like, where did you even get that, that diagnosis from? She was like, she was like, do me a favor, don't go on the internet. And oh. she was like, and she was like, there's, there's no way it could be that. She's like, you're too young. Women who are older get that disease. Oh and I was God. like, Oh, okay. Right. And I was like, all right, she knows, right? She's the doctor. Like, yeah. I was like, all right. she heard me, right? She heard me because I used the word. And yes. then she said, absolutely not. You're too young. Muy joven. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. sure. That yeah, makes sense. So, so I was like, okay. And, and I accepted that. And I went back to my PCP, feeling really good about myself. I was like, listen, I, I asked her and like, listen, this is the fourth one. <laughs> and, and, I, and the other thing she said to me which is a very common um misdiagnosis for endometriosis is she said i had gastroenterological issues she was like it sounds like maybe you're you're, you're saying your stomach hurts um mm -hmm. you know you're and and at the time i was suffering a lot from constipation and i had no idea why okay um and so i she was like it might be gastrointestinal so i went back to my pcp he recommended a person and I did everything I did. Um, I got a full checkup. I did what I had to do. And the gastroenterologist was like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like your test no. great. She was like, they're beautiful actually. And I was like, Oh, that's a little creepy. Um, <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, okay. And the pain just didn't go away. So, um, I went back to him and he said, the PCP was just like, no, you got, I think you got to get another opinion. Right. Oh so goodness. now if you five. think about it, right. It's like five. If you include my PCP, it's six. Oh. So um, I, I'm, I'm telling my best friend about it and I'm opening up to her about it because she had painful periods too, but like okay. I kind of knew with her what was going on. She's a little anemic, all this other stuff. Okay. Um, she would faint too, you know, and, and it was one of those things where she was the only friend I had that had painful periods. So right. she goes, you know, I really like my gynecologist. I just got a new one. Um, he's my family gynecologist and I think we should go see him. And at this point I had only been seeing women because again, um, the thought of a man looking at that area was just like creep, bizarre to me, bizarre. Yeah, I mean, so, so Santita, right? Like there's no Santita, way. Yeah, like, yeah. I already got one guy in there and he shouldn't be there. And then like, I'm going <laughs> to go, I'm going to go to, to a guy, 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 guy doctor. 
Yeah. So yeah. I, I didn't call my mom, but I, I did, um, I did go and he was, and uh, listen, that first gynecologist I had is an angel. I, I, I sent him to everybody who's going to go to a gynecologist this for the first time. He was just so different than the other gynecologists. He mm-hmm. literally was so gentle and calm and walked me through every part of the process. When I said I had pain, and this is something you can ask for, he used a smaller speculum to, to, to check on me. And you can ask for a smaller speculum. Um, and he used that and, and it made the process a little bit better. And, uh, and, and by this time too, which is another sign of endometriosis, whenever I had pap smears, I would be in horrific cramping for like two weeks after. That's not normal. That is not, <laughs> not normal. I'd be in horrific I mean, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for that time. Like that's normal. And and I want our listeners to know, like that's normal when when it's happening. And then even a little maybe afterwards. But for for you to be in severe pain, excruciating pain for weeks after, no. Yep. Every single time I would have a pap smear, I would dread it, but I would do it because I had to. Right. And so I was I was with him and um he was a doctor who walked me through every single thing that he was doing. He would ask me permission before he touched any part of my body. And and like if he didn't have to look at my body, he would literally look at the ceiling, do what he had to do. And the only time he would actually look was when he needed to, right? But if he just Correct. had to feel for stuff, he wouldn't even like look at my body and he made me feel so safe. And um, I remember him pressing certain areas and I was like, ah, ah, you know, like ouch, ouch, ouch. And I got dressed, I went into his office and I didn't say anything to him because at this point, like I was just, I'm going to get emotional because I remember what it felt like going into his office. And I right. sat down and uh, he looks at me and he goes, he goes, Habibi, because he was, he was an Egyptian doctor. He was like, he was like, I'm very sorry, but I think you have endometriosis. <gasps> and I remember just like, oh, I don't want to cry. I remember- it's, okay. it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> That's what we're here for. And I just remember just feeling at that moment, like, so validated. Mm-hmm. He believed that I was in pain. He wasn't like, this is normal. Your periods are painful. Like, get over it. Like, it was none of that. Right. He literally said to me, he was like, I'm so sorry. He was like, this is a very painful disease. Oh, and he's like, unfortunately, there's no cure for it. And he was like, the only way that I can know for sure. And this is a doctor, I'm telling you, he's ahead of his time because that is not what the guidelines of care from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends. He was ahead of his time and he said to me, I'm gonna have to do a laparoscopic procedure. And laparoscopic just means um, they go in with minimally invasive um, robot. They they kind of uh, put three holes in your, in your abdomen and they use a camera to go in and they use like a little knife to cut tissue if they need to or burn mm-hmm. and um, you know, they, they, they do it to check, right. To, uh, right. so you can have a laparoscopic procedure for many things. So, so he was like, I'm going to have to do this. And then he was like, the best that I'm going to be able to do for you, if you do have it is, um, you're going to have to have kids as soon as you can, because you're going to oh, be in time you're 30 and we're going to have to do a hysterectomy as soon as possible. So as soon as you have kids, he's like, he's like, I'm going to have to do a hysterectomy. Um, and and how do you handle that news right so the validation is amazing yes because you're not crazy you're not psycho you are being heard you are being recognized and at the exact same meeting three seconds later you're being told 
hurry up, have your kids ASAP because you're going to go into a very invasive procedure with, um, I'm pretty sure the healing time is not two days for a hysterectomy. Right. Right. And so, so the thing is like, you know, and I think this is another thing, I don't know, my family was definitely like this, but there's a, there's a push to be holistic first and Mm -hmm. to be, and to find every way to treat things Mm -hmm. before doing surgery, before taking a medication from a doctor. And I think, and, 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 and this is just personal opinion. I think it's because, you know, cuando uno vive en el país de uno, you can't go visit the doctor. Correct. One, you don't have the time. Two, you well, one, you don't have the money. First, you don't have the yes. money. Two, you don't have the time. And three, where are los doctores? En el centro. No están en los pueblitos. So you can't, exactly. like, even the transportation to get to the doctor. So you are relying on holistic approaches. And then they bring that to the U.S., that mentality. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and listen, la, la, la sabiduría de nuestras familias is is so incredible right like the 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 native mesoamericans were was one of the most advanced civilizations mm-hmm. um in our history and and it's beautiful to see some of some of those things passed down and also they were right about a lot of things right yeah. like yeah the Amazonia absolutely has really great calming properties um the, the jamaica has fantastic um blood pressure lowering properties right mm-hmm. um and that's the best that they they had at the time and and so the thing is like the the thought of going invasive and and doing all this and taking birth control was like was like something that my family was like a little bit against but i was like mm-hmm. i need to know i need yeah. to like i feel like there is something inside of me i can feel in my body and, mm-hmm. and this is exactly what the pain felt like. And this is, and it got worse over the years because I, and so, and now, nowadays on the other side of things, I actually have to remember what the pain was like. Cause I don't remember. I, I, the pain was as if my entire pelvic area, right. The whole thing all the way from the back to the front was a raw open wound right oh think about scraping yourself and like when it's like when you get it really deep and it's just like yep. open and on and nothing helps because it hurts you're moving it it helps it hurts um it felt like a raw open wound and somebody took navajas and was just slicing in there oh and then somebody goodness. was taking salt and lemon and just like rubbing it into every part it was pulsing with pain and so i was like i'm gonna do the surgery I'm going to, I need him to just go inside because I can feel that there's something happening in there that shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, I remember I was 21 years old. My mother was there with me. My sister was there in the, in the ER with me. It was, can I ask a question before this? Um, yeah. the whole kid situation, how, how was that taken mentally? Did you tell your mom, listen, this is what the doctor said. Yeah. Like I need to have kids first, then this operation, but clearly you're having the operation before you're having children. Yes. Uh, so, so how did, how, how did that play out? Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so the thing was, um, the laparoscopic surgery was, was, was what, what I know is called now, um, Oh, hello. Yes. Oh no, we lost you for a second, but we're back. How okay. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad it was only like two seconds of a glitch. 
so um i uh so it was just it was just a check but a hundred percent so Oh no. Okay. Wait, sorry. Yes. Um, we may have to do this episode in, um, two different, uh, two different segments because I do see that you're freezing up and I don't mind you having to hang up and then come back on again, Natalie, if that, if that's better for you. Um, here I'm making leader moves. We're all about normalizing glitches, hiccups, um, bumps on the road, as we like to call them, um, reframing our failures, if you will. So I don't mind doing this in two segments, or if you want to come back on, that's absolutely fine too. But if need to, we can cut here. I'll stay on for a few seconds. Um, but for the folks that are listening, just to let you know, uh, there is some Wi-Fi connection difficulties on uh, Natalie's end. So we're just waiting for her to either hop back on or what we can do is, um, okay, it looks like she hopped off. So I can stay on for a little longer and then just keep talking. So we're going to see if she can reboot. And then when she reboots, hopefully she's able to come back on. Um, and then if not, we're going to end the segment here. And then we're going to go ahead and do uh, a second uh, a second segment for this, this episode. Because speaking on endometriosis, also known as endo, is very, very important. As you've heard um, so far, Natalie's story and her journey, it's not, it's a very painful one. And it's a very sad one. And yet, it's very normal for us Latinas and women of color in general to go through these types of things. I mean, for her to go through six doctors in about a year and a half is a lot. Um, and it's not only physically painful, it's mentally painful. And, 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 and it's very important for her to share her story because it shows the resiliency that one has when you know something is off in your body, um, when you know something is not okay, but yet you're not willing to give in to the Western medical system here or um, to the American medical system here specifically. She has, she fought time and time again. I mean, going through six doctors is, is, is nothing. But short of, of, of um, how do we say, it's a lot. It's just, it's nothing but short of, of, of a toll. You know, it, it's a lot to take in. And we, I have been there myself. In one of these episodes, I share my journey about, you know, the, the condition and the disorder that I have. And so for this to be normalized is not okay. But I just want to let our listeners know Please, if you feel that you have some type of condition or some type of disorder, you know, please, please do your research the way Natalie had said. She had Googled it. She knew something was wrong there. Um, and I uh, ended up talking to a few people about my condition and making yourself knowledgeable 
about what you feel because with that, right, with those notes and that armor of knowledge, you can go into the doctor and tell them, this is what I believe I have. And then they can go from there. Because a lot of times in Natalie's case and in my case, we went in not knowing. I mean, and, and it's normal to not know, but you keep getting told it is normal. It is normal. It is normal. And it wasn't until I was vulnerable enough to speak to other women that it's not normal. It's okay. And um, Natalie, I'm glad you're back on. I'm just letting our listeners know that that it's great that you did your research um, and that sometimes that that's what it takes. And the resiliency yeah. that you had, you know, in a year and a half having to go through six doctors, I mean, that takes a toll on you, right? Mentally, physically, emotionally, obviously financially too. But it was your resilience that got you to this diagnosis and now to this um, liposcopic procedure that you will be talking about. So I'm glad she was able to hop on. I was letting our <laughs> listeners know like, oh my God, we might have to make this in two segments, but it sounds like it's just going to be one. Glad you are back and oh, let just- us continue <laughs> your story. No, of course. I mean, it's always technology, right? Like, of, like yeah. of course, the day that we have to record, it's just going to go off. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I, I, I apologize. I have no idea what happened. No worries. But- um, yeah, so uh, we might, uh, this might have to be a two-parter because I'm only just getting to the diagnosis. And I always tell people diagnosis and then the journey to proper care are two different things with endometriosis. Ooh. But, um, but, the, but, but yeah, so um, even though, so I don't know, I was, I was, I, I always tell people I was born 35 and, and I think I've been aging backwards since. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, at that at that age, I was very like I'm not having kids. Like there's no way. Even For though sure. I was with my, with my high school sweetheart, um, I we were in, we were we were gonna be engaged or were engaged at the time, and I was just like I'm not I'm not having kids anytime soon. Like right. also like something that I'm totally leaving out is the insane pressure that you just get of I, I'm the I'm the oldest. Same. Soy la, la primera nieta, la primera prima, la, 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 la hermana grande, mm-hmm. and especially on my Salvadoran side. Yes. And and I'm now the oldest of like 27 cousins. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, that's on your Salvi side? On my Salvi side. And that's the primos hermanos, right? Like we're talking right. about like, these are my primos. And um, that pressure to be the 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 example and and I was I was the kid on a pedestal I still am sometimes and I'm like get mm. over it like I'm not mm. perfect and I'm not gonna we'll have you on for another episode on another day talk like we can <laughs> talk all about that so <laughs> literally gonna be our live therapy session I, feel. I, I think so honestly and and so you know so while I'm the, the really and the reason I was pushing so hard for a diagnosis was so that I could finish school and work because who am I if I'm not alguien so for me it was like this is inconvenient I need to be able to do the things that I that my family is wanting me to do Mm -hmm. so um the lapras so so I did tell him like I I don't know if I want to have kids but I want to preserve my fertility and um let's do that as best we can so absolutely no hysterectomy right now right um I'll I'll deal with the pain until I figure out what I want to do and and when he did the laparoscopic procedure um, you know, he went in and he took, he took pictures and all that stuff. And so what he did at the time is something called ablation. 
So he did absolutely find endometriosis lesions and um, the endometriosis lesions uh, that he found, he burned, he just burned the top off of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to explain that that's very different from excision, which is the pro- which is the golden standard of care for endometriosis. So, the endometriosis lesions that live on your on 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 the tissue on your body um, have to be cut out from the root. So, if you're just burning the top, it actually can create a lot more problems. So, at the time, I didn't know any of that. Okay. So he he ablated right? He burned those lesions. Um, and when I got out of the surgery, he was just like, you know, you have endometriosis. Uh, we sent tissue for biopsy. It came back, confirmed that I had endometriosis and the, the same course of action stayed. We're going to put you on birth control because it'll shrink the endometriosis lesions and keep them from growing. Not true, (laughs) but that's what I was told at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're probably going to just have to have another surgery where we're going to burn it. And um, again, focus on having kids. Once you have the kids, we're going to do the hysterectomy because if you cut out the uterus and the ovaries, right, and you don't and you stop the horm- the hormones of those, it'll stop the endometriosis. And then that's the best way that we'll be able to treat it. All of those things are not true, but that's what I thought was true at the time because I Think about it. This guy validated my pain. Of course. He got me an answer. He got me a diagnosis. And I was not going to question him. Of and course. so from 21 to 29, he was my gynecologist. And I loved him. And and but the thing is, like, as time went on, he kept saying, When are you having kids? What what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. Like okay. you're like, if you don't have kids by 30, you're gonna be infertile. Uh that's what endometriosis does. And I and like I just kind of kind of like had to learn at that point, like, I'm not going to be a mom and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. I I'd rather choose because the, 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 the truth is my symptoms didn't get any better. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I got the diagnosis and I'm, and, and, and also another thing was laparoscopic surgery is a major surgery and nobody explained that to me. I thought that I was supposed to go back to normal life in two weeks um, I ended up failing my semester of school that year oh because God. I was in so much pain. Yeah. I couldn't get up. I was dealing with what I know now is I was, I was having pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and it was so painful that I just couldn't make it to class. I was experiencing severe fatigue, severe exhaustion. I had to quit my job because I was, I was working as a cashier at Dwayne Reed. And if I lifted a box, you know, you know, like, like if any of my service people that worked in pharmacy, you lift the little box of something excruciatingly painful. So it was just one of those things where, um, it, at that moment it ruined my life because now I was jobless, wasn't in school. I failed something for the first time in my life Mm. and I never thought, and I, I, I didn't know to be like, you just had major surgery. You're dealing with a systemic body disease that is going to cause brain fog and fatigue and make you feel terrible. And uh, now, era nadie. Of course, of course. Era nadie. No, no era estudiante. No estaba trabajando. And so I was so ashamed. Nobody in my family knew. The only people who knew I had the surgery were my partner, um, my mother, and my sister, and they. I, they, they're probably going to find out now that I filled that semester of college. Cause I didn't tell anybody. I was so deeply ashamed. 
because I was like, it's me. Yo soy estúpida, no soy fuerte. I couldn't, I couldn't, how could I not get through this? Like my parents have been through hell. Yes. Their bodies have been through hell. Yes. And I couldn't handle a little period pain and surgery. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling that like, I, I don't have it anymore, but like, I know what that shame felt like. And it was heavy. And yeah. I went into my first deep depression as an adult. Yeah. And then that's another thing. What do you have to be depressed about? Oof. Naciste a million dollar question from our parents. el idioma. ¿Cuál es el problema? You know, and, and so it did. So I got a diagnosis, but it ruined my life. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't get proper care until I was 29 years old. Wow. Um, Natalie, that's such a strong story. I... I got teary-eyed for you because I I know what that feels like, not on that spectrum, but the whole you you are not worthy, right? Yeah. You are not worthy to rest. You need to be productive yeah. because of the fact that you are comparing yourself as a first-generation um, kid here in the U.S. And, right, like our parents cross borders, you know, they, yeah. they they didn't know the language they didn't know the dynamics here and like you were saying like who are we like solamente era cirugía right like right. and you tell yourself that like solamente era cirugía exactly it was just surgery like listen to what you are saying um yeah. and so like i'm so sorry that you had to go through that and then on top of that the depressive episode and like you were saying like you can't even talk about that so no. now you're in surgery like you had this surgery excruciatingly painful not the best way of taking care of endo and all the repercussions that come with it and you can't talk to anyone about it like no. how are you not supposed to fall in a deep blue and a deep black hole yeah yeah no and and uh i'm getting emotional because that's what that's what little Natalie had to hear. I wish you had had somebody to say exactly the words that you just said to me. Because at the time, all I did was blame myself. And that's you know? And I feel like as women, especially, you know, women of color, you do blame yourself for a yeah. lot of things, you know, and then not only do you blame yourself, again, the guilt, the shame, the I'm not doing enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not productive enough. And all these pressures that we put on ourselves, right? And then from different, from the American culture and then from la cultura de tus papas. Yeah. So you have double the pressure and yeah. you're just trying to figure out your day by day. At this point, you're just trying to not faint at the subway, right? And be inconvenienced to all the other subway riders because they're not <laughs> Ew. Yeah, like, like I live my life so much, um, and and it's and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a and it's a and it can be a toxic thing, la comunidad in our in our families, right? It, mm -hmm. It's community is, is so beautiful. Right? When your family can be there for you and be supportive, that's great. I'm, I'm not gonna say I had that yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. a lot, but when, well, when it is there, it's it's really it's really great. But um, at the same time, when you you speak up and all you get is judgment, and and and, 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 you know, it gets tied into like religion and like all this other stuff, right? Like, um, you know, in my family, I know that like a really strong feeling is like when, when somebody is sick or they have some sort of severe illness, right? Especially mm -hmm. a mental one. Um, it's almost like you're, like you're paying for the sins of somebody in the past. Um, you know, I haven't heard that one in my family yet, but that, yeah. that's a very, very interesting point of view. 
Yeah, and it's like, and it's like, oh, un castigo de Dios somehow that like this is happening to Natalie. What did what did her mother do? What did her father do? And um, it's also it's also like um, uh, it it just gets tied into so many weird things. And then it's like, <clears throat> um, if nobody else in your family is experiencing this or being open about it, you're the only one. So. Yeah. Um, and then it's almost, again, the questioning of like, are you sure it's that serious though? Cause you're the only one in the family. Exactly. exactly. So are you exactly. sure? Yeah. And, and, and that was definitely something that, um, and you know, and I did my best and like, um, I don't know how much time we have, but, um, maybe I'll just fast forward to getting proper care for those who are wondering. It's just, so I would spend the next, um, eight years, mm -hmm. um, down a whole rabbit hole. Um, I developed orthorexia, which is a condition where um, you're so obsessed with eating clean that you don't, that if the foods that are not clean aren't available, you just don't eat. And so this was uh, after the laparoscopic. And after the, the laparoscopic procedure, okay. because I started doing research. And so uh, I, I started looking through the internet because the doctor could only provide me so much. So the doctor didn't say, quote unquote, eat clean. It was no. the research that you were seeing on the internet that said, quote unquote, eat clean. Okay. So my gynecologist didn't, but my primary care physician, who I stayed with for a long time because he also validated my pain, mm -hmm. um, nonstop, all I would hear from him is, you're overweight, you're obese, you need to lose weight. Now, mm -hmm. at the time that he told me this, I'm 5'5", five five, I was 120 pounds. <laughs> But what I did have was a big old booty and big thighs. One twenty-five? Right? That's insane. I, I was a I was teeny tiny, and I, if anything, I was like a little underweight at the time. I, so, I was about to say. <laughs> and so and so the, you know, but but siempre he sido bien nalgona. Um, yeah. And and people oh, and especially white culture, right? White people, American people, always saw me as fat because of that, right? Of course. Um, and I, listen, I know people don't like them, but thank God for the Kardashians. Cause when they made booties a thing, I was in, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was in, I had black hair and a big old butt and, um, and, and things worked out for me then. But, but before that, like high school was really hard because like you, you, people just Absolutely. are like, why are you so fat? You know? And it's just like, no, this is just where the fat goes on my body because I'm Latina. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so, so, so the thing was like, I kept hearing constantly from my doctor though, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And I'm like, how much more weight do I have to lose? Like I, and I already eat healthy. Right. Like, and then, and then that's when little by little, once you start getting into the American nutrition system mm -hmm. where the dietitians no son Latinas, um, and, and are learning and are, and are treating. And this is why I made my page. And this is why I talk about endometriosis because Every single dietitian and nutritionist that I went to was telling me that fundamentally the Latina food that I was eating was unhealthy. Mm. Rice is unhealthy. Um, you know, and then and then frijoles there's frijoles aren't healthy. Frijoles aren't healthy. There's a mis tortillas aren't healthy. There's like this misconception too, and this is just ignorance that all of Latino foods are fried. And I would try to explain to the doctors like the food that my mom makes isn't, isn't fried. Um, right. she's, she's making, you know, what I know now is actually pretty healthy food. So fritos full of vegetables, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, sure. We, we, if we want to add vegetables, so we can, but like, 
my mom was very like no McDonald's, no Wendy's, no Subway. Like my mom was very anti fast food, which is like a which is a, which is a privilege, right? Um, fast yes. food sometimes is only the only food that's accessible to people, and there's no shame in that. Um, but she was very like anti fast food, and 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 she would home cook every single meal. So I started going to this deep dive of like listening to health influencers, mm-hmm. and also I was a broke college student. Right. I, I was I was making at the time back in my day, I was making seven dollars an hour as a cashier. So it's like um I, I joke all the time and I started paying off my student loans while I was in college, which was I, I would end up literally like the first two weeks I would eat like a queen and then the last two weeks I was surviving off of a subway sandwich, which Rosa mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but I had no choice. <laughs> um but like, but she would, she, oh God, my mom hated Subway. Like she still does to this day. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and so the thing was just like, I started going to the C-Pole where I was talking to dietitians and nutritionists because, because also my blood work wasn't getting, was getting a little wonky. And this is like another thing that I want people to really advocate for themselves for, especially in the Latino community, because we are affected by this. My thyroid level started being weird. Okay. Um, and, and so the thing is, because my doctor was so focused on me being fat, they never did a full blood panel. And I know that when you're when your PCP is saying that you're doing a full blood panel, they're not really. Okay. And so the thing is like, they're not gonna do a full metabolic panel, which is gonna check your thyroid function, which is a very common disease amongst women, especially Latina women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you have to go to an endocrinologist as there's something off with your thyroid. Don't trust just your PCP. And I know Latinos like love that. We have that one doctor that we trust and so they can answer every single question about everything. Exactly. And so, and so, um, so I got diagnosed with, with hypothyroidism, a slow thyroid when I was 23. So I got given one medication and again, lose weight, lose weight, work out, work out. And I did, and I was listening to all, and I couldn't afford a dietitian or a personal trainer or a nutritionist that was going to write me custom plans. So you know what I did? Instagram was popping at the time. I was listening to health influencers Mm. and I started cutting out all of my cultural foods because they were all unhealthy. Que no hice? Paleo, Whole30, um, whatever, whatever you want to throw on here that was super, super, super restrictive. Yeah. I did. And at the time, high intensity interval training was in. Um, I was doing workouts where I was just killing myself. I was working out five to six times a week and oh then God. I would burn out. And then I wouldn't be able to work out. And then I would do it over and over again. Just like work out, work out really hard, burn, burn. With, with an addition to having the eating, um, would it be called an eating disorder? Yeah, orthorexia is an eating disorder. Absolutely. Okay. And and here I was not eating sometimes, right? Because if I didn't make my super clean, healthy, organic meal, I wasn't eating. And, and wow. so I was, I was in this and, and the worst part was I was gaining weight. And so the, and so I was well, doing all of this, starving yourself, this. eating quote unquote, healthy, healthy. Uh, exercising the five to six hour, uh, I'm sorry, five to six days a week, which I'm mm-hmm. assuming was at least an hour between an hour and two hours a day. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, doing cardio, um, doing interval training interval training I could jump like 10 feet in the air I'm exaggerating I could jump so high at one point I was like why do I need to do this actually yeah and then on top of this the pain was getting worse right like my every time I was gaining weight 
Okay. Gaining weight, pain getting worse. And now, you know how I told you, like, it would take me, like, it was be three weeks of pain. I was yeah. in pain 24 seven. 24 seven, there was this pulsing. My, my belly would get so bloated. People would give me the seats in the subway because they thought I was pregnant. Oh my goodness. Um, I, and I just kept working out through it and I would be in pain. And I remember I, I blew out my knee once and the physical therapist, I told him, I was like, you know, I have endometriosis. Do you think this could have anything to do with like my leg hurting? And she was like, no, that's nothing to do with it. It's a period thing. I was like, okay. Um, and then what I know now that I didn't know then is I, so, so the thing is like, I never stopped researching endometriosis. I always kept, so I, I studied psychology. I, I knew how research worked. Okay. I knew how to, find, how to read white papers. And so I was like, maybe there's going to be a new study. Maybe they're going to come out with a, with new developments. And I would always ask my doctor, is there anything new for it? Like, has anybody come up with something for it? Yeah. And that was just me and my curiosity because I wasn't getting better. And even though everyone, every single doctor I went to, gastroenterologist, physical therapist, my primary care physician, my gynecologist, everyone was telling me that my endometriosis wasn't causing anything else. And wasn't doing anything else. Okay. Um, I didn't believe that. Right. I, I just wasn't convinced a hundred percent that my endometriosis wasn't affecting the rest of me. Okay. And so uh I kept doing research and I remember I would join a bunch of Facebook groups for endometriosis. And they were tough to be in because a lot of these women, and I feel so terrible for them, is they were so focused on the fertility. Endometriosis causes miscarriages. It's it's one of the it's it's actually the number one reason why people can't get pregnant because um, they don't even know they have it and it and it can cause miscarriages and it's because of the systemic inflammation and that's another misconception that because it's an infl- it is an inflammatory disease but it is an inflammatory disease that you can control with food unfortunately I wish because then it would be so much easier to manage. Um, and, and, and so I was following endometriosis diets that people were, were spewing online. Right. And I'm trusting these people on the internet and and listen, there's great resources on the internet. Absolutely. There's, there's people that know what they're talking about, but like I was desperate and all of us in those groups were desperate for relief, for relief from infertility, relief from pain, relief from just feeling terrible all the time. And so I remember that um, in one of those groups, somebody posted like an angry rant and they were like, I got kicked out of this other endometriosis group. They're so mean there. Da, da, da. And I was like, what group is this? So I go and it's called Nancy's Nook um, for endometriosis education or something like that. It's a Facebook okay. group. Uh, she does have a website now. It's called Nancy's Nook Endo.com. And I go into this group and Nancy is, is a nurse. And, and she's, um, she's up there, up, you know, she's older, a much older mm-hmm. woman. And uh, the first thing that it says in the group is this is not a support group. This is a group that provides research and information. And they had education modules. And it was the first time that I really got the science of endometriosis broken down for me because nobody had ever done that before. Okay. So um, there's, it was great because you go through these little education modules and every single post was only supposed to be um, research, research focused, fact focused, abs- and, and no opinions, right? And so what right. was cool about it was like people were posting their experiences, but it was not opinions, just this is what happened, period. 
I had a good outcome or a bad outcome. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I love that type of communication. So even though a lot of people wanted to be in groups where they could like complain and be upset and that that's great. You need community, whatever. Yeah. But that's not what I was looking for at the time. I, I didn't want to be, and maybe this is like part of being like the, the Ponte, la, Ponte Las Pilas, right? Mentality yeah. is like, I'm not going to sit here and cry about this. Mm. I'm going to do something about it. Mm. And so I remember when I joined Nancy's Nook, um, I, it was just an information overload of just like, so, and I'm going to break down some of the very basic things that you should know about endometriosis. So the Please. first thing that shocked me was I didn't know that it wasn't a period disease. It, 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 it is not a disease that is caused by the reproductive organs of cis women. And the reason that I'm saying that is because men and, and uh, just for my personal beliefs, right. Trans men are men, right. There's there, I don't mm-hmm. have a, a uh, any qualms about that trans mm-hmm. men have endo and for me endo is genderless however there are cis men so i'm talking about assigned male at birth right people mm-hmm. born with penises and and testicles that have endometriosis there's about 20 cases documented so that blew my mind because i was, I was gonna say i always thought it was just a female condition or disorder yeah I thought this was a female disease, that this was a woman's disease. So I was like, how does that make any sense? Yeah. And then it's the word endometriosis itself is an incorrect word for this disease, right? We, we don't know if it's going to ever change. I hope it does. But what the word endometriosis implies is that, so you have your uterus mm-hmm. and the inside of it has a lining and it's called the endometrium or the endometrial lining. Okay. So that lining is actually what bleeds throughout the month and creates that thick cap of blood mm-hmm. in preparation for a baby. And then when the baby doesn't come, you menstruate. Okay. It, it, it just falls down and you have your period. And because of a theory by uh, a doctor called Dr. Samson that was developed over a hundred years ago, he had a theory that endometriosis was caused by retrograde menstruation. So what he believed was that that endometrial lining um, was pushing your period through your um, fallopian tubes. And somehow that blood and the endometrial tissue, the endometrium, was going outside and attaching itself to wherever it could. And um, that's what it was. It was just simply the endometrium that somehow found its way into your pelvic cavity and it would stick on and, and it would be there. Okay. And that the way that it survived was um, every time you have your period, you're producing estrogen and estrogen was feeding this endometrium tissue and causing mm-hmm. pain, right? Because you're bleeding inside your pelvic cavity, which you shouldn't be, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's what endometriosis is based on. What we have now learned, thanks to technology and advances in medicine and advances in just being able to, to biopsy tissue and, 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 and study it, endometriosis lesions are its own type of tissue, completely separate from the endometrium. They're similar, okay. right? The, 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 the components of it are similar, but it's a completely different type of tissue, which mm-hmm. is like, this is where it gets a little sci-fi with endometriosis. Mm-hmm. So what we have found since is animals have endometriosis. Um, fetuses have been found to have endometriosis. No kidding. Um, 
women that have had hysterectomies and their ovaries out can still have endometriosis. Um, men can have endometriosis. So it's, it's what the best theory that we have right now is Dr. Redwine's theory. So Dr. Redwine is the pioneer of exc excision surgery. The reason he was so passionate about this is because he was an gynecologist and his wife was in excruciating pain. And here is a doctor, right. a gynecologist, and he couldn't find the right care for his wife. So he ends up um, studying it and becoming obsessed with it because he wanted to know what was happening to his wife. Um, and it's beautiful to hear Dr. Redwine talk about it because he just loved his wife so much that this became a passion for him. But he ended up finding that exactly what I just explained. So the I'm going to get a little like sciencey, but like Muellerism is believed to be the best theory right now for endometriosis. And I want to I want to just be clear that just because something is a theory in science doesn't mean that it isn't a good explanation. Okay. Um, a lot of things in science are based on theory, and 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 theory in science doesn't mean what it means in colloquial speech, which is like I have a theory um, that you know. Pika was really insecure and that's why he cheated on Shakira. That that's my theory, but it's but that's not what it means in science. And science theory is like we've actually tested this to the point where other people can replicate this study and it's a pretty good reasoning behind like a natural phenomena and we think that this is good enough. Mm -hmm. So so Muellerism just implies that and, and and the best explanation for endometriosis is that you're born with it. Somehow in Ooh. utero. Okay. The, these, this tissue for some reason yeah. lays out and beds itself usually in the pelvic cavity, usually, not always. Okay. It embeds itself in the pelvic cavity. And as you get older and, and uh, you, you, it just starts surfacing and, and it can grow on its own. And the crazy thing about endometriosis is it produces its own food. It can actually produce its own type of estrogens to oh feed itself, um, which is so creepy. And Jaw dropping, yeah. <laughs> creepy, so creepy. And endometriosis can actually grow. I didn't actually have it on my uterus at all. I had a little smitch on the left ovary, but all of my endometriosis was in my perirectal area. So like, if you can think of like when you're sitting at the gynecologist with your legs up, right? Yep. And they're going to look. I had it literally like if you look at the vaginal opening mm -hmm. and go all the way around down to, to, to the bottom, right? That was where I had my endometriosis. Um, it wasn't on any other organs, which I was very lucky because endometriosis has been found in every single part of the body. Wow. Every single part of the body. There's people that have had it in their brain. There's people that have had it in their lungs. There's people that have had it in their thoracic area. There's people that have had it on their diaphragm. I know diaphragmatic endometriosis is very common actually a lot of my friends have diaphragmatic endo i think i have diaphragmatic endo yeah um and the intestinal endometriosis is very common so wow. um i was just mind blown with this information so you're born with it it kind of can continue to grow on its own the the lesions just live and thrive on their own so if you remove the ovaries and you remove the the uterus you're not really doing anything if you don't get rid of that tissue so once I learned that women were experiencing amazing results with excision surgery, which means that somebody who basically looks at endo full time is going in, finding it, and mm -hmm. literally cutting it out 
as deep as they can. Got People it. were just like getting their life back, being able to get pregnant. Like it was insane. And Nancy is is the is I, I think she didn't have she didn't meet Dr. Redwine until she was like in her 50s. Oh wow. And she, and she had been, she's a nurse. She had been to every doctor ever. Got her, got her uterus removed, everything removed. And oh she my was goodness. Still, and she talks about how Dr. Redwine did an, the excision surgery on her. Uh -huh. She woke up and had nothing because he wow. excised it all. And, and that's the story for many of us. And so when I was like, okay, you know what? Like, what do I have to lose at this point? Yeah. I, I'm barely functioning. Yeah. And by 2019, I was doing all these workouts, all the, like, I remember I was, I was doing a F45 and jumping and lifting and doing everything. And, um, I had what was the last straw for me. Everything kind of came crashing down, which can happen a lot with endometriosis. The symptoms just like hit you all at once. Okay. I, um, I had what I thought was something falling out of my vagina. And so I was, I was freaking out and, and my, my poor fiance, he's been so amazing throughout this entire thing. Um, I go to my gynecologist, the one, the one from the beginning. Okay. And he goes, oh my gosh, he's like, you, you have prolapse. Like your, your uterus is like falling out. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, in my whole career, I've never seen a woman that hasn't birthed a child have this, but that's what you have. And he was like, you, you got to do Kegels. And um, you were going to have to like, you know, stitch your uterus to your pelvic wall so that it doesn't fall through. And he was like, Natalie, what are you waiting for? Like, you're 29 now. You still haven't had kids. Like, we got to do your hysterectomy because I'm telling him that I'm still in pain. And he was like, well, yeah, it's the endo. Like, I told you it was the endo. Yeah. And and so I'm just like, and and, and I was on birth control I and, and it wasn't helping anymore. So birth control helped for a little bit, but it, mm -hmm. but it that was as much as I went was birth control. Um, I was, and let me tell you, I'm leaving out a bunch of ER visits. Times that I thought that I was dying because of the pain, um, where I would fight with myself if I should go to the ER or not, because I was going to get gaslit where people would be like, endo, you're here for period pains. There was one time that I fainted at school and my sorority sisters had to call an ambulance for me. And when I got there, they left me in a room, forgot about me because they signed me off as period pain. I woke up two hours later because I fainted from the pain, um, took a bus to Brooklyn to go to my home hospital <laughs> because that's where my, my gynecologist was was located at um, because I was worried that I was dying. That's how bad the pain was. I've been given morphine. I've been giving oxycodone, every single opioid you can think of, every heavy hitting um, addictive pill. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been prescribed and I've taken, and, and, and listen, I'm, I, there's addiction in my family. So I've always been, I, I really have never really drank too much. I don't really like it. I, I was always very afraid of becoming alcoholic. Right. Um, I never really wanted to try drugs because again, I can't make a mistake. I have no, nothing to fall back on. Right. And, and so if, if I ended up doing something that got me in trouble, I was ruining everything for the, for not just myself, but for my entire family. So, right. Um, I remember the nurse laughed at me when I, she first gave me morphine because she was like, you've never been high before. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, was like, I don't like the way I feel because I was high, but I was in pain. Yeah. The, the opioids didn't help. Oxycodone did nothing for the pain. None wow. of those things for the pain. And by this time at 29, I had actually stopped 
just before that because my stomach couldn't take it anymore. But I was taking, I'm not even exaggerating. I was taking like 12 Advil a day, liquid gels. And that was just to take the edge off. Oh. It wasn't doing anything for the pain, but it was enough to take the edge off. And I wasn't eating, but like, it's, it was just a big, you know what I mean? And I was eating clusterfuck. <laughs> clusterfuck. It was just, it was just bad. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and by that point, like he tells me this. So now it's like, great. My universe is falling out. Like, well, what else? Right. Like, yeah. What else? yeah, I'm still gaining weight. I'm still in pain. Everything is wrong. I'm trying my best to exercise, but the periods that I could exercise were getting less and less. Mm-hmm. I was able to move less and less. And I didn't even realize it over the time. By the time I was 29, I was shuffling. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even walk. If I took a step, it would send a shockwave of pain through my body. Oh my goodness. But I was so used to it. Yeah. And I had to go to work. I, I was somebody who like never called out of work, never took a day off one because I couldn't afford it. I worked jobs that didn't pay me holiday time, didn't pay me time off until the laws came into effect where you had to pay people for being off. Right. Um, and, and then at the job that I was at, I was in a very toxic environment. And so the, you know, calling out or something for what I felt sometimes like I was dying. Sometimes I was in so much pain. I couldn't see straight. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I would show up to work. I had to, right? Like this was the mm-hmm. only way that I could do this. So when I found all this out about endometriosis, I was like, okay, I'm going to get excision surgery. Of course. Um, and I found this out in like 2017. And what I wish I had done at the time was just reach out to the surgeons because I didn't find out until I, I couldn't, until I got diagnosed with the prolapse that it was, a, it was actually affordable for me. Um, because endometriosis mm-hmm. surgeons operate outside of ACOG guidelines. And so they kind of have to charge their own thing. Okay. And um, uh, I, I, I just, I was like, okay, so this is an option available for me, but I can still fix this. I can yeah. still eat healthy. I can still work out. I can still do my own thing to fix this. Um, and so I remember like when the prolapse happened, I went into Nancy's book. Because I, I I was like, who treats prolapse? It's pelvic floor therapist. Mm-hmm. So I go into Nancy's nook and I was like, this, and I asked my doctor, does this have to do with endometriosis? And he was like, no, it has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So I go into um, Nancy's nook. I find Dr. Sally Sorrell, who runs the endometriosis summit. Okay. And I, sorry. I find the endometriosis summit and she's a, a physical therapist, a pelvic floor therapist who has endometriosis. And she was working in New York city at the time. Okay. So I go to see her and I've been doing Kegels this whole time. Right. Cause the doctor told me to, I'm in excruciating right. pain, I actually go with my partner. I bring him. And the first thing she does is she does a, a check mm-hmm. and immediately she goes you don't have you don't have organ prolapse she's like what you have is an extremely tight pelvic floor she was like you have you have a severe case of hypertonic pelvic floor which Mm -hmm. just means that my pelvic muscles were so tense yeah (laughs) they were so tight um that what was happening is they were actually pushing the the side of my vaginal wall in into the outside that's how tight i was and so she was just like stop doing kegels immediately because you don't need tightening you need loosening Oh my and, God. Um, she puts me on the table. She does an assessment. She's literally like doing her magic. Um, you know, pelvic floor therapy doesn't have to be internal. It could be external. So if you're not sure. comfortable with that yet, like you can, you can do it externally. And she literally says to me, yeah, you, you have endometriosis. We know that. But she was like, 
you also have hernias. She was like, has anybody ever told you that? And I was like, no. And I was like, does endometriosis cause hernias? And she was like, yes, actually. She was like, the endometriosis lesions were causing so much inflammation and pain that it was causing my pelvic floor to tense up. My pelvic floor was trying to protect me from this internal pain that it was tensing. Yeah. I got used to that because the pain never stopped. So the tensing mm -hmm. never stopped. And she was like, what ends up happening is when you go untreated with pelvic floor dysfunction, mm -hmm. it pulls the muscles on your abs. And she was like, so you've been going years with this little pulling that over time it's been tearing these holes in you and pieces of fat have been falling into them. Oh my God. And she was like, I don't exactly. And she was like, I, she was like, I'm not a, I'm not a hernia specialist, but I have a hernia specialist that I can refer you to. And I was like, and I'm like, hernias? Yeah. So, so she says to me, I, I know an excision doctor that I just, you know, that she really recommended and he's the co-founder of the endometriosis summit and literally boom, saw her in August started doing pelvic floor therapy with her, which is if you have endometriosis and you can't do anything else right now, pelvic floor therapy will, 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 is a good assessment to see if you have pelvic floor tension, which a lot of us do, mm -hmm. um, and it can really help with your pain. And then, um, I had surgery with Dr. Vidali in December of 2019, the first week of recovery, no pain, no endometriosis pain, wow. zero, nothing. I was, I, my body was looking for it, but it couldn't find it, but I did get carved out like a watermelon. Yeah. Um, entire peri perirectal floor was covered and he, he, and, and the thing is, if you look at my pictures, my endometriosis wasn't like what you Google. It wasn't brown. It wasn't anything. It, it just looked like plain tissue, wow. but because he's an expert, he was able to literally dig it out. I had a ball like that was like a, this huge, just mass of dead endometriosis lesions. Oh my so God. He, um, he took all that out and I didn't have endometriosis pain, but then 2020 came, the pandemic happened. I couldn't do pelvic floor therapy, which you should really do after an invasive major surgery like that. Right. Um, and uh, I was in excruciating pain that first year, but not because of the endo, but because what I was realizing was nerve pain. So I was getting nerve block injections. That's how we tested it out. Um, I was getting suppositories that would help relax the pelvic floor because I couldn't go and do manual therapy. And um, by November, I was desperate. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go see the hernia specialist and see if this is a reason. Yeah. Um, and usually he does MRIs to, to test for hernias, but I actually had a CT scan because in right. <laughs> when I was 29, I also went back to an, a, a gastroenterologist again to tell me that there was nothing wrong with me because everybody was saying that I was having gastroenterological issues mm -hmm. because what I didn't know was a pelvic, pelvic floor tension causes constipation. If your muscle, if your muscles are so tight, nothing's going to get through. And of that's, course. it wasn't that I wasn't eating healthy or not drinking enough water. My body literally couldn't exit what it needed to. So, um, I see the hernia specialist. He looks at this CAT scan that I have from something else. And he was like, oh yeah. He was like, you, you, he's like, you have three, you have three hernias right here. He was like, I don't need, I don't need to do an MRI. And I was like, but the MRI scan says no hernias. And he was like, yeah, he was like, I mean, I'm sure that person didn't know that tech doesn't know how to read for them. But he was like, you have occult hernias, which are very small hernias that are actually common in women, but common okay. in women when they're older, not when they're 29, Okay, <laughs> 30, I should say. And, um, he 
we do the surgery with him. He didn't find three hernias. He found seven. Um, I had him all the way down to my legs. And this was all caused by years of pelvic floor tension. And yeah. mind you, you heard me. I was telling everybody I had pelvic pain. Yeah. Everybody. Every doctor that would listen. I saw a physical therapist and told her I had pelvic pain. And she, they all were just like, yeah, it's the endo. Wow. Not a single. And even when my doctor was doing his internal exams, what I found out is gynecologists actually don't really learn much about the pelvic floor. So he was the only person that was going in there and he didn't even feel the pelvic floor tension. Um, when I was doing transvaginal sonograms, they were excruciatingly painful. And it was because I had pelvic floor tension, mm -hmm. painful sex, pelvic floor tension, um, pain after working out, pelvic floor tension. Um, so it, it was just, it was just bizarre to me that now I have these seven hernias. So now I'm recovering. So now I had two surgeries in less than a year and 2021 was really dedicated to physical therapy, uh, pelvic floor therapy, and just recovering from these things. And uh, listen, 2020, I could barely walk 2021. I could walk for 30 minutes at a time. Um, and I was going to pelvic floor therapy twice a week. And the only reason, honestly, I kept my job was because of the pandemic. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to go into an office. I would have had to quit my job, which is the reality for a lot of women with endometriosis. Yeah. And, and so once I got to um, to that stage, I'm, I'm here now. Mm -hmm. I'm really in tune with my body. I know what's what. I don't have endometriosis pain anymore. I, have, I, I literally couldn't tell you what it feels like anymore. I have to think about it, like I said. Um, I am suspecting some thoracic endo because I'm having a specific shoulder pain. And now it's been long enough that I've done everything else to know that if this shoulder pain is continuing, it's probably because I have thoracic endometriosis. We'll get it checked out. We'll do an excision. We'll see how it goes. Uh, my pelvic floor tension has gotten so much better because my body has had to learn that it's not in danger anymore. There isn't mm -hmm. something trying to hurt it from the inside. Um, and And yeah, so like my message is just like, if you're seeing a gynecologist and they're telling you you have endo and they haven't done a laparoscopic surgery, I would question it because they really have to go in and check. That's really the only way right now to know. Mm -hmm. um, modern imaging, unless it's being looked at by an endometriosis expert, which is only 100 in the world um, currently, um, they're not going to really be able to see it. And if you're just getting given birth control, that's not going to do anything. I think mm -hmm. mass symptoms and lessening symptoms is more dangerous than not telling somebody that if endometriosis lesions stay in your body, it will destroy the tissue. I'm a very lucky endometriosis patient. I've had friends with endometriosis has eaten through their uterus, eaten through their fallopian tubes, mm -hmm. eaten through their ovaries, eaten through their organs, destroyed their uh, intestines so badly they've had to have pieces of their intestine removed. Like, this is a, a a horrific disease. It's not gynecological. This isn't period pain. Yeah. And until we start moving to thinking of it as this is an emergency, this person has endo, we have to cut it out before it destroys the internal body. We're not going to get the type of care that we deserve. What I'm hoping for is that if there is an 18 year old Tipota who is scared to talk to her family, mm -hmm. finds my age feels seen, feels heard, and maybe can talk to me about how to navigate her way to proper care. That's all I care about. Because the only thing I wish I could have done is not have endo. But since I couldn't pick that, I wish I could have had the surgery sooner. Because the lesions wouldn't have caused so much damage in my body. And so um, that's really it. 
period pain is not normal. Excessive period pain isn't normal. Uh, having debilitating cramping 24-7 is not normal. Um, and just fainting everywhere is not normal. Think, oh god, I'm the queen of fainting. The mm -hmm. fainting everywhere isn't normal. So it's just like, yeah, I, I hope my story just shows you that it took eight years. The average diagnosis time is seven to eleven years. Mm -hmm. uh, doctors will literally re remove. I've I've had women tell me that they've had kidneys removed because doctors just were like, you're in pain still. All right, let's get a kidney out and see if that helps. Wow. Perfectly healthy kidneys. Um, so, so yeah, that's my story. That's what I want people to know. And, and, and I talk about it because I think from a first gen Latina lens, it's a little different, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're struggling. We, there's a lot of shame and hiding around something like that. Yeah. And so it's not as easy for us to maybe talk to our families and even navigate ourselves to the right care if we don't know what we need to do. So, um, but I'm still a boss. I think a lot of women are, are, are scared. A lot of people just come into my DMs and they're worried about their future. Mm -hmm. I, I finished college. It took me a while, but I finished. I'm, I'm a successful professional. I work in hedge fund compliance. Um, I'm not doing, uh, I'm not doing that bad for myself. And um, I'm getting married this year. I'm powerlifting now. Um, I, I traveling is easy. I'm, my my energy is back to to places that it should be. I, I did end up having Hashimoto's disease, which is actually a worse thyroid condition than we thought. Mm -hmm. I did end up having PCOS, and I didn't even know I had those things because it was my endometriosis surgeon who actually checked my hormones because no other doctor ever did in my entire history of presenting symptoms. Um, and so I've been treating that since 2020 because that's when I found out. So that's its own journey. And I'm dealing with the damage that endometriosis caused, mm -hmm. but I don't have endometriosis pain. I'm not in pain 24 seven. I have a flare up here and there. My periods are non-events. It's nothing now. I'm not on birth control. My periods last maybe five days. Um, and the first two days suck. And then I'm great. Like there's, there's really nothing I can complain about. That was the first thing that got improved immediately i used to bleed for like seven to nine days like chorros every single day wow, yeah um, and and that's just not my life anymore so um yeah there there is a way to find proper care if you have endometriosis don't give up hope and what i do know is that once you have excision surgery fertility if that's something that you're interested in and family planning is important to you it, it is easier once you get that inflammatory lesion out of your body so that's really what causes the miscarriage and the inability to hold the pregnancy is the endometriosis lesions causing so much turmoil and dysfunction inside the body. Um, so yeah, that's my story. I know I talked a lot, but. <laughs> um, but I think it's exactly what our listeners need to hear because to your point where we are scared sometimes, you know, or we are hesitant again, we are shameful or why is this taking forever? Um, and I'm just really, really happy and really grateful that you came on, that you shared your story, you shared your experiences, um, and that you were not only brave enough, but resilient enough to, it took eight years, but you're here and you're improving and you know that you might have other shit going on, but you're taking it day by day and you're taking the correct steps and you never gave up on yourself, right? Doctors were, were, were very dismissive. Uh, doctors were very ready to get you out of their office 
And even though you knew, and, and another thing that I want to commend you on is you started off with great doctors, but then you started noticing that they were kind of getting too comfortable as well. So you moved on. They, yeah. they served their purpose at the time, but you had to move on. Um, and I think a lot of us kind of like how you, how you had said with your PCP, you're like, he was great. You know, they were great. They validated. So I kind of just stuck around. Um, but that like, just because you stick around doesn't mean that you can't go look for other options. Doesn't mean that you can't go look for other solutions. Doesn't mean that you can't go look for other doctors with other resources and other tools because these, they're, right, they're always different doctors, especially with the specialized one that you had said that you've gone to for the summit. Like they're always yeah. learning, they're always researching, they're always yeah. teaching. So yeah. thank you so much, Natalie, for your story, for your resources, for uh, not being ashamed to tell us listeners like, hey, that like it's more common than not. But what's not common is getting you the proper care. So make sure that you get yourself the proper care. I know that you still have a long journey. This is going to be a lifelong journey, right? And that's yeah. the thing with chronic yeah. illnesses, disorders, disability. It's, it's a lifelong journey. So having said that, how do our followers get in touch with you? How do they um, not just reach out to you, but see other things that you're doing? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So, and the, my, my Instagram page is where I'm the most active, but okay. you can find me on all major platforms at endocipota. So that's mm -hmm. E-N-D-O-C-I-P-O-T-A. And for those who don't know, cipota is just a term used in Central America for, for girl, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's here. Um, and, uh, and, and what I'm offering is just my journey through a first gen lens. Um, and, and I can guide, and if you, my DMs are busy all the time because I'm guiding people to surges in the area, trying to make the best decisions that they can. Mm -hmm. And um, some, some of the resources that I love that are both in English and Spanish is in 16 years of endo. Amy Corfelli is fantastic. Um, Extra pelvic, not rare um, is another great account uh, who is a doctor who talks about endometriosis and other parts of the body that is not uh, reproductive organs. Uh, and it's really common. Um, uh, Endo Girls blog is a uh, is a chemist who analyzes endometriosis scientific information and kind of whenever we get a sensational headline, she's really good at breaking it down and giving you the correct information. Um, and yeah, if you come to my page, I can help navigate you to to the right places that we can get for you. And, and listen, surgery may not be an option for you, and it may be may not be the first thing you want to do, and that's totally okay. We can talk about what you feel comfortable with and where what you can do to alleviate your pain and what tools are available to you. So um, I have uh, a newsletter, The Chronic RBF, and uh, and yeah, and, 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 and I'll be hopefully hosting New York City endometriosis-focused events soon, um, but happy to connect with you on all social platforms. Again, Natalie, thank you so much for being with us, for sharing your story, sharing your journey. I'm so excited to see what you have in the works. I'll be stalking you on Instagram. I'm pretty sure some of our <laughs> listeners and followers will as well. Um, thank you for everyone who listened in and joined in on this episode. Um, I hope that you were able to get some gems out of it and some really great resources as well as knowledge. And for, um, for us, please don't forget to, um, and if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave us a review, Cinco Estrellitas, por favor, and join the online community Making Neither Moves on Facebook as well as Instagram. 
If you have any questions, um, please feel free to send your questions at makingleadermoves at gmail.com. Gracias once again, and I will catch you on the next episodio. Abrazo, abrazos, besos y cariño, familia. Bye. Bye.